Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. You know it's Christmas time and usually these are the pictures that you have uh, about your kids, especially growing up, you know, the different stages growing up. I think um, our fault was is most of our videos were taken at Christmas time, so that's where we basically saw them growing up. Um, but it's snapshots as adults. You, know, you you have these little pictures and stuff to remind you of your children growing up, and when you were a kid, you were growing up, and what you look like, and you can go back in memory of those times. Some happy, some not so happy. But again, it, what it does is it. it remind you of stuff, but you also have something else. You have in your mind snapshots of different images of different things, and I would do the same with my kids. Certain things would happen. I'd go snapshot in my mind. I'm going to remember this. And you too. You know, and growing up too, as, as a kid, you do this. Certain times that you remember. It's amazing how you can remember things. I can remember things when I was probably about three or four years old. Three years old. I just, very vivid images and and I remember these situations, just being little. And you do this throughout your life. You remember these things. And it's a blessing. It really is. And there's things, of course, that you need just to forget, you and I. But we usually hang on to them. But the point is, is that here again we're at Christmas time. And understand something. Mary did the same thing. She took snapshots. We see that in verse 19 of chapter 2. It says that she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She was watching. And understand, she's only 16 years old. She's just a kid. And yet now this kid has not just a baby, but if you will, the baby. Now there's a connection, isn't there, moms? When that baby is laid upon your chest after she's born, there's a connection, isn't there? That's that baby that's been in that womb. That father, again, is, is kind of distant, but not the mother. The mother is like, oh, I, I've been carrying you. Welcome. It's about time I get to see your face. You've been kicking me for so long and making me feel uncomfortable. It's good to see you. And, and you remember that. And again, don't separate that from Mary. Mary is like, this is, this is, my baby, I, I don't fully understand all this, but sh- this baby was inside me. This baby was growing. I, I was talking to this baby. We have a connection, as a mother and a child would have a connection. It's intimate. It's special. But see, it's that that we're going to look at, but at a different angle, if you will. But don't forget the connection. The connection's there. But if you will, we're, we're going to pick it up after 40 days after the birth. So, so now the, the baby is starting to, you know, is starting to smile and, and move about and gurgle and other things. So that connection goes deeper. So if you will, if you have your Bible, look at verse 22 with me. Now, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses was completed... They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. 
Now, what would happen is, is that there's a law of purification. You can read this in Leviticus chapter 12 if you'd like. But basically, when a male child opened the womb, you'd have to pay five shekels. But any child that was born, 40 days of purification, what would happen is, is that they would have to give up, sacrifice a lamb. Or if you were poor, it'd be two pigeons or two turtle doves. As you see, this is two turtle doves. Now, the five shekels was a little more expensive. If you will, it was probably about 16 to 17 days of wage. Remember, they don't have much money. It's a young couple. But still, now they've done this purification and everything. Look at verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation or the comfort or the encouragement or the Messiah of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. That word depart in peace is a beautiful word. It's basic, if you will, a picture of death. And what it is is a release. The word is used for a release of a prisoner. But wait, that's not all. It's also used as unyoking from a beast of burden, releasing it. But that's not all that it is, if you will. It also means to untie a ship and let it set sail. I can go in peace now. I can leave now. But according to your word, why? Because I've seen your salvation. But this isn't just for the Jews. It's for the whole world. Now remember, Mary's listening to this. Mary's taking snapshots. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said, Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign which will be spoken against. Now, what was it? Well, if you will, Peter puts it this way. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Jesus is either a stepping stone, a foundation, or he's a stumbling block. See, it takes somebody to realize something. It takes humility. For this baby to come in the incarnation of God, it takes humility to understand what he was there for. When somebody reads or hears scripture in the Bible, and again, they judge God and say, how could God do these things? Essential person is always missed. Because it always goes back to Jesus. It always does. God still loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But if you notice then, too, he said, the destined and fallen rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. His whole life was that sign. He was the light of the world. 
And Jesus himself said to Nicodemus, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. It's for all to see that he's either a stumbling block or he is the foundation of life. He's either the light that brings illumination or he is somebody that you avoid and remain in the darkness. And so many remain in that darkness just because of self-imprisonment. See, the world is going to a place, we all do, and it's to depart from this earth. And it can be either, again, being enslaved in darkness for eternity or it's to be in the light of life, the love of the gospel revealed to us in Jesus Christ. It's either or. There is no middle ground. But again, it goes back to why is this child here? And behold, again, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which was will be spoken against. Yes, Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That word sword, see there's two words in the Bible, or New Testament especially, about a sword. One is the word of God is a sword, but you always think it's a big old sword. You no, know, it's a dagger, an 18-inch dagger. So it's it's made for up-close battle. And it's also the arm, the sword that you're given in, in battle, and the armament of God. It's a dagger. It's not a big sword. It's a dagger. Something you get up close and fight with. But there's another word, and it's the word used here. It means a sword. A big sword. And Mary, a big sword is going to pierce through your own soul. I want you to think, again, remember, she's taking snapshots. This baby is holding. This baby at this point is dependent upon Mary, upon her bosom, upon her taking care of this child. God humbled himself that a little girl, a 16-year-old girl, is caring him. Can you imagine all the angels going, Lord, are you sure about this? This is what you want to do, right? Can you imagine the angels circling around her saying, oh, don't drop him, don't drop him, right? Not that Mary would drop. Because again, to Mary, this is the child that was inside. Doesn't understand it completely, what exactly went on. But she just knows this child for nine months rests in her womb. And now she's out. He's out, excuse me. And now he's told, she's told that not only that this child that was in her womb will be a joy to her, but it will also be her very wound. Piercing. And see, we can see this as the gospel carried on. We see it first when she, he was 12 and he was lost. And then they found him. And instead of Jesus running up saying, oh, I missed you. He said, what were you worried about? Didn't you know I was going to be about my father's business? Separation. Then if you fast forward, you can see too the, the wedding at Cana. When Mary came to Jesus and said, well, they don't have any more wine. And Jesus called her woman, not mother, woman. Now, it was a respectful term, but it was not an endearing term. Then, if you will, when she came with his, with his brothers, people said, hey, your mother and brothers are out. And they want to come to you. He said, who are my mother 
Who are my brothers? So these are my mothers, my brothers, my sisters, whoever comes after me. Again, a separation. But you know the greatest separation. I don't even have to go there, but I will. It's at the cross. She witnessed the suffering of him on that cross. She watched his blood-stained face and blood trickling down throughout his body. She watched his agony as he would reach up to breathe air. The excruciating pain on his back that's been ripped against the rough wood. And then to make all matters even hurtful, Jesus saw her from the cross. He saw John and he said, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. See, at that moment, that one moment, I believe, is when Mary realized that she was not his mother. She was his daughter. Pierced through. And it's true that all of us have to come to a conclusion. That He is our God. It pierces, though, uh, maybe not watching Him die on the cross, but it pierces because it means a sword to your soul that you can't do it. You can't do it. That's why this baby came as a man. To do what you couldn't do. To gain what we could not gain. We always think it's in defeat. The reality of it is it's in victory. having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to a cross, having disarmed all principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Victory. Who would ever have thought victory was in death? That victory was in the Son of Man dying not rising. You know, we were singing joy to the world. Man, enlighten you? That's not a Christmas song. It was not written for Christmas. It was written for Jesus' second coming. Think about the words. He shall reign. Let heaven and nature sing. The scripture says that even nature itself withers in pain, waiting for it to be amazing. But see, it's at the cross we have to come. It's at the cross that every one of us have to again bow down and remind ourselves what this is all about. Because at the cross, all the thoughts, as it says right here, of many hearts may be revealed. 
you're either for them or you're against them. But see, it's not just that because I'm looking out here and my guess is every one of you are believers. I've talked to every one of you. So it's not about salvation. Now it's about the truth of what the gospel has done. Not just, and understand this, not just giving you eternal life. Ah, something so much more than that. There's a song, a hymn, if you will. It was a hymn that was written actually a hundred years after a, a revival. The Wells Revival, 1904. The song is called Here is Love. The second stanza goes like this. On the mounts of crucifixion, fountains open, deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy, float a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. There's nothing here that really earns us God's love. There's nothing you've done. There's nothing I've done. In fact, if anything, all we've done is really, if you will, Deserve judgment. But that's not why the baby came. The baby came to go to the cross. The baby came so that he could take your sin and my sin upon himself and die for us. That we can understand what life truly is. And that this God that nobody understands cried out from a lonely wooden tower. I love you. I love you. Five things I want to close with. And I will go over them quickly. But I want all of us to think these things through. Because this is the Christmas story. This is the Christmas gift. This is the Christmas blessing. At least part of it. Because we're going to go through these series. It's about the blood. It's about him dying. Five things. First of all, the blood cleanses from the penalty of sin. The blood cleanses from the penalty of sin. You are, in God's eyes, pure and clean because of his blood. That means the penalty of sin of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and for the rest of your life. The penalty of sin has been washed away. Let it sink in. Now, if you let it sink in, then let the second one sink in even deeper. The blood cleanses us from the guilt of sin. Let me say it again. The blood cleanses from the guilt of sin. God does not see you guilty of any sin. 
Now let's clarify. That sin is all covered. Then there, penalty of sin is all covered. The ramification of sin may still exist. But the guilt of sin has been wiped clean. God declares all of us guiltless. And now he calls to each of us. So stop putting yourself on the cross for something I've already bared. No matter what has happened in your past, guilt should not be a companion of yours. Only, again, the understanding of God's grace and mercy and love. You are a ship that sail. You are a prisoner that has been released. You are free. There is no burden for you to carry anymore. That's why he says, come and yoke up with me. Let me carry your burden. I remember your sin no more. But see, we get stuck in this because, again, we think of things in the past and we feel the guilt and the shame and we have to repent of it again, thinking, God, you still haven't forgiven me. Why? Because I still feel it. But that's not God. If anything, that's the enemy. You want to hear a clear understanding of what the enemy does? He makes you feel guilty and hopeless. God convicts only to draw you closer to him so that we can confess that sin and he says ah forgiven of course which brings us to number three the blood cleanses us moment by moment permitting us to have fellowship with God let's say it again The blood cleanses us moment by moment, permitting us to have fellowship with God. Because of His blood, we can boldly come before Him and seek forgiveness and grace. Not that, remember, the penalty of sin has been covered. The guilt of sin has been covered. But again, the moment-by-moment cleansing that we need because of our sin will separate us from the fellowship of God because the enemy comes in and he reminds us of our sin and how we're undeserving and then the guilt trip comes on and then we feel separated from this fellowship. We're not worthy. How can God do this? And the flip side of it is some believers is like, oh, God will forgive me, so what does it matter? What matters is because you're a distance away from God. And you basically put yourself in the enemy's camp. Not a safe place to be. And open to other opportunities to fall further away from God. God forbid, walking away from your faith. It used to be said many a times, I've heard it so many times, I can tell you with my eyes closed. Really, isn't it? Of course you can talk with your eyes closed. But the simple truth is this. And it just went off my mind because I'm sitting there goofing around. Well, shame on me. I don't even remember what I was going to say now. <laughs> shame on me. And 
didn't come back. Let's go to number four. So what happens if you get older? you got to stay on track, man. That mind will go somewhere else. Christ's work on the cross brings Satan's work to nothing. Remember I just read the victory? Again, let me repeat it. Christ's work on the cross brings Satan's work to nothing. His victory over sin, his victory over death, and his gift of eternal life. The enemy has nothing on us anymore. And so many times what we do is we allow him foothold in our lives. Again, going back to the moment-by-moment fellowship. Anything that we do, why would we hold on to it? Because all it does is separate us from God. And, if you will, not, in again, from our own perspective. And, again, it brings us to the, the conclusion that Satan has won. He hasn't won. He's lost. He's like, if you will, he's like a guy that's he's trying to push and shove everybody into the pool like he's falling in. He's the one that is trying to make havoc over everybody, getting them in chaos so that they feel confused, they feel depressed, they feel hurting, they feel lonely. They keep telling telling us through the world system, Satan does, that this life is all you got. Live it to the fullest. Don't you know that Christianity is a weight? It's a weight that you can't explore and enjoy life. The reality of it is, is no. Christianity, because of Christ, has set us free. Set us free from everything that weighs this world down. And again, it brings back us to depression and pain and suffering and sorrow and emotional problems, mental problems. It all goes back down the toilet. And Christ says to us all, I have gained the victory. Like a good father, he says, get your eyes up. Look at me. Don't be afraid. The fifth thing I want to bring your attention to is it also, I can choose and count on that old man being dead with Christ on the cross. Paul put it this way, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God gave His only begotten Son to die for us, what else do you think He'll do for us to survive? No. For us to gain the victory. Every area of our life. But again, if you will, it's Jesus again on the cross for us to look and behold. No, he doesn't stay there, but we have to understand something. That sword that's piercing is also, if you will, that sword, that dagger, the word that cuts, searches, cleanses. And for us to understand that is to, again, to come before him and say, no more. 
Just as you said, Lord, you said, if anyone desires to come after you, I must deny myself, take up my cross daily and follow you. I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of living for my own pleasure. I'm tired of trying to seek what life means here and now instead of focusing on you. Understanding that if you have paid the price for eternity, if you paid the price for my sin moment by moment, then you have a plan and a purpose for my life now. And ultimately, all that is, is for Him to say to each of us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come on in. Welcome home. Now you are truly free. Now you are a ship that's ready to sail. Now, as we come to the communion table now, we can actually implement these things in our life. We can appropriate by taking of communion, but also reminding ourselves of what has happened now. That Christ paid it all. His body took my sin on Himself. And the sword that pierced His side, or it's just the spear that pierced His side, and the blood and water... The birth of the church, if you will, as they say, it also, that blood cleanses me of all my sin. And I can rejoice with the Lord. I can rejoice this morning. But I also can give Him the glory and the praise and the honor as I contemplate and think these things through. And that's what I encourage each of us to do. Again, as we partake of these elements. With that, I'll ask the worship crew to come up. And as they're coming up, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for these truths. And Lord, there's truths that, again, we know, we understand. But Lord, we, we seem to always put them on the back burner of our lives. Help us, Lord, to understand this morning that truly all of our sin has been washed away. The guilt, the penalty, the shame. But Lord, that we have a moment-by-moment -moment relationship with you. That you have triumphed over the enemy. That sin, Satan, and death are conquered. That we now have victory in these truths. And our fellowship is rich. And it's deep. And it's lovely. And it's so worthy to worship you. So we just pray your blessing upon this communion time. Help us, Lord, to really think on these things. And we ask for your spirit to search our hearts. And it's in Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. He became sin Who knew no sin That we might become His righteousness as we see the reason that you came was to be a sacrifice for us. To deliver us from those things that held us as a prisoner. From sin, the enemy, even this world. And death. Because you took it upon yourself. We're free from these things. That your victory over all 
reminder for us that you never, ever lose. And you will lose none of us. Help us to rest in that truth. But help us also to rejoice in that truth. And help us to remind ourselves as we're taking of the communion this morning that victory is ours because you are victorious. That we are loved because you love us. That we are set free because you have set us free. Let us partake. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Just as your servant Paul wrote, it's a reminder for all of us that we proclaim the truth of these things, that you died for the world, that the world still rejected you, but us who have come before you, us who our eyes have been opened, us that bask in your light and your glory in the truth of the victory that is found at the cross, we come, Lord. We come with the acknowledgement that you have died for us, but also your precious blood that was spilled, that it washes and cleanses us from all sin, from the guilt, the penalty, the shame of sin. Lord, that we are now free and that we have been given the privilege to live moment by moment in fellowship with you. You have granted us access to your throne, your very throne. And because of these things that we are called your your children, And that we rejoice again as we hold in our hands something that's symbolic, that reminds us that we are clean, that we have a new agreement with the God of all eternity. Let us partake. Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, Having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. 